The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast for 2020, our first one. This what? is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. So, you know, we kind of took a little bit of a hiatus there in December, and we did the the Christmas episode and some holiday myths, but then we just kind of took some time, recharged the batteries, spent some time with family, and treated a shit ton of flu in the clinics, and yeah. <laughs> so, how are you, man? Been a little while since we talked on the podcast, anyway. I am swell, I guess. Oh, you know, great! Uh, that court order is finally done with, so we can, you know, talk. I'm kidding. There's no <laughs> court. <laughs> <I'm> like, <huh? laughs> yes. No, everything's good. You got some in-laws at the house doing my own Clark Griswold special at the moment. But uh, everything's great. Had a good Christmas. Had a great New Year's. Good. Busy, busy at the office. Um, how are things your way? You know, pretty good. We uh, did the Christmas and New Year's thing, and it, it was just nice to just do family stuff. You know, I think New Year's we uh, went down and played some games, and I drank all of one beer and just kind of kicked back and relaxed and just enjoyed the time. Kind of a... Uh, recommended vacation because i have too much pto so i uh, had some time off around that time as well so yeah it was good yeah i found myself not even wanting to drink like i had a bottle and i was like yeah new year's eve we're gonna have some drinks and right, yeah. i found myself in my lazy boy going nah <laughs> <laughs> nah not worth it yeah I guess I've hit that age where I'm just like, you know, I would much rather wake up tomorrow without a hangover than <laughs> have a couple of drinks tonight. So there you go. Well, it had to happen eventually that we would grow up, but I refuse to believe I'm fully grown up. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, overall, it was some good time off. I, I missed the show, though, so I'm ready to jump right back into it. Me too, man. It's been good. I know we've been seeing all kinds of stuff on facebook and stuff going hey where is just some podcasts like we want more episodes and we've had all kinds of people sharing it and recommending it and that's been great to continue to see that and so we we have a waiting audience that is just thirsty for some jsp knowledge and so we're ready to dispense such knowledge hopefully (laughs) dispense 
dispense. Yeah, that's that's a good word for it. Let's see here. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of some other words, but yeah, we're just for this episode, we're gonna stick with dispense. But yeah, let's get into it. So uh, let's see if we can knock the dust off of this and uh, do a social media round. What do you say, Ben? Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Okay. Me. That's E flat. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web or at www.justsomepodcast.com. You can email us, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Don't forget, you can also find us on Helium Radio. That's Helium Radio After Dark, Channel 2, Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. And. Wherever you can find a podcast, we are probably going to be there, including iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever. Tom, what else can they do to help us out? Well, as they did plenty during the holiday shopping seasons, which we surely appreciate, but they can continue to do while all these great deals are out. If they go to the JSP website and they scroll down to just about the bottom, there is a link to Amazon shopping that they can click on before they do any of their shopping. It'll then take them to the Amazon site. They can do their shopping and any of the shopping they do after that point will help us out and give us a... uh, what is the is it an affiliate proceed or something like that? I don't yeah. know. But the money it's goes affiliate. Yeah. Yeah. It goes to us and that helps out the show and we truly appreciate it. They can give us some ratings and reviews, good or bad. We do appreciate all of the above. And we <laughs> do reply, as people have found out, <laughs> regardless regardless sure. of the info. Do we want to talk about that for a second? So yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Cause yeah. I don't know if everybody knows about that. So somebody I think they specifically directed it towards me. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, no, dead on. They directed it towards me. <laughs> That's <really> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so what it was is in our episode during Halloween, we referenced the story you may have missed about an Australian woman who threatened to pass out chickenpox laden candy to children to try and infect them. Yes. To prove that chickenpox was not deadly and whatever other insane reasons a person would have to do something like that. And I made a comment. Well, I made a bunch of comments, but, you know, such as I hope a kangaroo eats, eats her baby or something like that. In reference to the famous Seinfeld line of a dingo ate your baby. Right. And somebody did not appreciate that at all. And they gave they gave us a bad review. And and you know what? That's fine. That's their opinion. I still appreciate that they took the time to even write to us. I, I like that. I would say, though, that someone participating in bioterrorism is not really a personal opinion that we at JSP support. And no, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a full stand against people trying to infect children with viruses of any sort. So I'm going to still have to say I respectfully disagree with anything you have to say if you support that type of action. So go ahead and write us and let us know your opinion. But that's probably going to be met with some resistance, just to let you know. I would just like to add that kangaroos are herbivores. They eat grasses, flowers, leaves, ferns, moss, and some small insects. They do not, however, eat children. And therefore, um, it was a joke. And yeah, we'll go from there. They're herbivores. And speaking side note, 
not that yeah. any of this was planned. Have you seen what's going on in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Um, all the fires and it is mad stuff. Crazy. So to any of our listeners, and I know we do have some in New Zealand and Australia, not that you're taking the time to listen to us, but if you do, our hearts go out to you. Please stay yes. safe. The world is thinking of you at this time. And we just hope that you make it through healthy and that things can hopefully be rebuilt and everybody can uh, try and get back to some form of normalcy when this is all over. Yeah. I mean, you summed that up really great, man. I don't have anything to add to that. So, of course, you're talking about a group of people that eat Vegemite. So, I don't really know what normalcy is. So, I thought I was in the UK. <laughs> no, Vegemite is totally Australian. Yeah, okay, I thought it was popular. No, I'm sh- no, I'm sure of this. Vegemite's Vegemite's Australian. If Kiwi you are, is New Zealand. Not the fruit. That's the, like the term. Uh, yeah. If you're from Australia, New Zealand, or the UK, and you eat Vegemite, particularly if you're from the UK and it's big there, email me and let me know, and I'll send it to Tom, uh, admin at justsomepodcast.com. You're going to lose, my friend. No, no, I'm not. Are you Are you ready to get into our story that you may have missed? Yes, sir. I uh, believe I am ready. Well, so I went out because, as you have, I'm sure, read on when you downloaded this episode, we are going to ta- be talking about weight loss medications. And so it's the weight loss medications. Why are we talking about that now? It's the first of the year. Oh, New Year's resolutions. So I went out and tried to do some in, some uh, research on that, particularly into why New Year's resolutions tend to fail. So according to the U.S. News and World Reports, approximately 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by February. So here's four common ways that they fail, and, and hopefully you can, if you are one that makes resolutions, you can take this information and alter your resolution to make it more successful. But the first one is that your goals aren't clear. So, you know, maybe you're you're not setting a, uh, a clear goal as far as what you're wanting, and it's just very vague. Like, I just want to be healthy. Well, what the hell does that mean? Uh, you know, that may be different for everybody. So you know, make it more clear. The second one, you feel overwhelmed. Change is not easy. No one really likes change. And so now you're going from, say, you know, you uh, used to – Sling back a 30-pack of hot wings with some blue cheese. I'm looking at you, Tom. Um, <laughs> and now you've decided, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, that's a pretty significant change. So it may just kind of feel like you're overwhelmed and, and you're not able to, to handle that really well. So my clear goal is to go down to 20? Yes. See, that is a, that's a clear goal and you won't feel overwhelmed. And then maybe 15. <laughs> The third one, you feel discouraged. Uh, yeah, so you kind of become impatient and, you know, like, oh, I want to lose 50 pounds and you wake up the next day and you're still the same weight you were. And so now you're like, well, screw it. I don't want to do this anymore. So you get kind of discouraged and then you just give up on it. And the last one is you're just not ready for change. I think as healthcare professionals, I think we all are kind of aware of that, particularly like say with smoking that's a big one patients who come in and i'll ask are you a smoker and they'll be like yeah and i'm not ready to quit don't even talk to me about it 
cool. All right. I know where we're at. <laughs> you know, so it's like you have to be ready to change and willing to change in order for it to actually work. Uh, you know, if you're making this resolution because your wife wants you to, or your significant other, or your family or whatever wants you to, then it's more than likely not going to succeed. So Tom, those are kind of the four main points of failure. What are your thoughts on some of that? Honestly, they all seemed reasonable and clear and to the point and very common sense. Like when you said them, I'm like, wow, that all makes really good <laughs> sense. Uh, we probably should have all thought about that ahead of time, to be honest, especially the last one being, you know, it seemed very definitive. Like, oh, yeah, you should probably have already known that ahead of time going into it. Yeah, but I do think sometimes peer pressure can cause you to want to or you know, vocalize a resolution to change something, whether it's smoking or weight or whatever, and your heart's not really into it, so you know you're not going to do it. And so then that's the ones that the gyms are real busy on January 2nd, and then <laughs> February 1st, there's right back to normal. Honestly, that is one of those things like I don't even like going to the gym like the first two months of the year because it's like, okay, I don't feel like waiting 25 minutes to get down to a pull down machine because I support people going to the gym. It has right. nothing to do with that. I If you're trying to improve yourself completely with that, but you couldn't have but done this in, <laughs> you know, April It always January, February always happens. So it's just a thing. But no, I, and I also like, I, I think the first point also needs to be more probably prominent to most people is don't set a goal of, I need to lose a hundred pounds. How about you set a goal of, I need to lose 15 pounds, you know, right. like let's start there. And once you lose 15, then it could be like, I need to lose 10 more pounds. Do something very reasonable and try and be piecemeal and then next thing you know, you'll have lost a hundred pounds when you set that Everest goal and right. you're still at the bottom of Everest. Guess what? Looks really tall. Yeah, exactly. Ah, suddenly I don't want to climb Everest anymore, <laughs> but that's, that's where you're at. And on the one about getting discouraged, uh, you know, this is one that I really stress with my patients when they do come in and talk about weight loss, uh, medications or, or dietary surveillance or whatever the case may be is, you know, you're going to have days where you're just going to eat like crap. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it's going to happen. Uh, you were humans, you know, you're going to have a stressful day or whatever the case may be. And you're going to plow through an entire pizza, uh, whatever the case may be in order to not get discouraged. You kind of have to that next day. You had to, what I call it is I call it etch a sketch it. You just got to erase it. It's gone. Don't fret about it. Move on. Because what happens is you're going to, that one bad day is going to go, well, shit, I, I screwed yesterday up. So now I'm going to, might as well not do this anymore. And then you just kind of go down that path. Whereas if you edge a sketch it and move on, you have a higher chance of success. Exactly. If you have one bad day out of 30, there's no point in throwing away the other 29. Yeah. I mean, one bad day does not ruin a month, but sometimes it seems so easy to us to get discouraged. And just say, okay, well, I had this one setback, so screw it. I, I can just throw away everything. But I've also tried to tell people, both in and out of the office, when people have talked to me about it, and I've said, you didn't get fat overnight. So how do you expect to lose the weight overnight? I don't understand why you're expecting this to happen 
I mean, I'm a big guy myself, and I, I try to say the same thing. I, you know, I try to remind myself when I get discouraged is like, hey, you didn't balloon this way. <laughs> you know, it took you a couple years. Yeah. Why are you expecting results any faster than what it, what it took you to get here? So, but we all know the basic principles, and we're going to discuss some of that. And hopefully everything we're going to discuss over the next uh, 45 minutes is going to help support everything we just discussed. So uh, do you want to get into it? You ready? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, particularly working in family practice, this is something that we handle a lot of. There's lots of obesity, particularly in the United States. And so people want to come to the office for weight loss medications or you know assistance with that. And so we really thought that we would hit some of the more popular medications that are out there to help with weight loss, kind of go over some of the uh, the do's and the don'ts with that, and uh, hopefully give you some good education along the way with cracking jokes from Tommy and I. So, yes, sir. And I, I was just going to say, I think in, I don't know, in the interest of full disclosure to the audience, I think it's only fair that I tell them I'm on one of these. I don't want to tell them which one because I, I don't get paid or I don't want them to think I'm biased towards one of these medications, but I am currently on one of these medications. And so I do have some skin in this game. Like I do pay attention to some of these indications, et cetera, because they apply to me. So this, this is a subject matter that is important on a personal and professional level. So this isn't just something where I researched it because I thought it was an interesting topic. This is something that literally every day I put into my body. And so it has become a little bit more important than just a prescription. Full disclosure then, I have probably four of the five, that we're covering five, I think, uh, four of the five that we are covering, I have personally tried as well. So... It's not something that you're going through alone if you are going through this. So, Exactly. We are in this boat with you. So, With that being said, let's jump into the most frequently used medication, a medication by the name of Fenteramine or Fentramine. From 2008 to 2011, 25.3 million prescriptions of Fentramine were issued in the United States. Just so you understand the mechanism of action, it is an amphetamine analog. Uh, so it enhances activity of the sympathetic nervous system, which modulates norepinephrine, also serotonin and dopamine. That is kind of how it helps to work, but it can potentially increase blood pressure as well. Something that I didn't realize, Tom, this medication was originally approved in 1959. Uh, by the FDA, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, this is the one that's been around the longest, obviously. Has shown positive efficacy to be used for uh, short-term weight loss, according to an article in the AACE. In this particular study that was studied over 12 weeks, 3,411 patients were in the study. Uh, they lost an average of 3.45% of their body weight from baseline. Fentramine was... The highest on these, because this was actually an entire study of, of all of the medications, uh, Fentramine was 3.75%, uh, followed by Qsimia at 3.63%, Contrave at 266 and uh, Belvique at 184 
dosing of fentramine generally is 37.5 milligrams daily, although I have seen it dosed differently. With patients on this, I do recommend to them if they are fentramine naive to break the tablet in half the first few days just so they're not getting this major rush because it is an amphetamine. It's a mild amphetamine, as we stated earlier, and so it can kind of cause people to have a little bit of extra boost of energy. It does kind of curb the appetite. It also makes you very thirsty is one of the big side effects of it, which I tell patients is a good thing because that's going to make you increase your uh, fluid. One of the biggest issues that I do watch for, and I generally try to have them follow up at least monthly on this medication, is it can increase your uh, heart rate and blood pressure. And so generally we monitor blood pressures to ensure that they are not getting too high. Uh, that's particularly because it is a vasoconstrictor, as I explained to my patients. So generally this is not a medication that I'm going to use for a patient that has any type of cardiac history. And so I, that's one of the questions I ask before I use this medication. Uh, the other thing that I did find in my research was from the Mayo Clinic is that there have been some incidents of coronary vasospasm related directly well, that sounds to like a great the, night. Right? Yeah. <laughs> related directly to the uh, fentramine usage. So you need to be particularly cautious with individuals with a history of smoking or underlying atherosclerosis. So you just basically need to be vigilant and educated about uh, the use of fentramine. Any questions on that one, Tom? Anything I didn't cover? No, I, I'm pretty sure you covered it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you covered it, sir. But no, 1959. So I was just wondering, because I've seen shows where they talked about amphetamines that were sold in European countries, in, in particularly uh, Germany, over the counter as stimulants hmm. as far back as the thirties. I can't really? remember the name of it right now. And I don't want to get off and Google it at the moment, but yeah. So I wonder like how, how down the line someone was like, Hey, that guy sure is taking a bunch of whatever that is. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it had like a very common name. And I just wonder how they progressed and got into identifying that. And then the FDA saying, Hey, yeah, sure. That's a weight loss drug. <laughs> and there we go. So the only thing I didn't mention that I probably should have is uh, fentramine is a uh, schedule four controlled substance. So there's a very low potential for abuse and it is widely interpreted as short-term administration as approved by the FDA, which is supposed to be up to 12 weeks. Although there are some cases of using fentramine longer. Uh, some studies show that it doesn't have any significant adverse effects as opposed to the short-term use. Uh, but because it is a scheduled drug, then there are some advanced practice providers that may not be able to prescribe this depending on your state's laws. Tom, what do you have for us next? Well, the first one is a medication that you just spoke about, and I'm going to talk about Belvique. And I think the reason I want to talk about that first is because you just spoke about a stimulant-based medication, and this one does not work off stimulant. This is a serotonin 2C receptor agonist. The mechanism of action is actually based on a decrease in food consumption to promote satiety by selectively activating the 5-HT receptors and basically tricking your hypothalamus into thinking that you're full. Interesting. 
now you don't want to eat as much. All this information, as a matter of fact, all my drug information, the primary source is going to be the websites for the drug information themselves. So if you want to look it up or deep dive this, you can really get into it. There is a ton of information. I'm condensing it down for the for the audience. Fair and there's a lot of really cool words that you're going to need to Google Translate <laughs> that I'm not going to attempt to uh, say a lot of them. But that's that's the basis of it. It will say, uh, spoiler alert, things like exact mechanism of action not known. And I'm sure there are some legal reasons for that. But that's the basics of it is that it's basically tricking your brain into saying, hey, you're full, but you're not. And that's okay. And so by tricking your body into thinking that you're full, you're going to consume less calories. And as we all know, calorie deficit is the truest measure. I mean, all, all diets are truly basically a calorie deficit. I mean, keto is great and whatever diet you want, they're, they're all great, but they all basically are forced calorie reduction. And so that's what Belvique's main characteristic is. Um, it is a schedule four drug, as we discussed with the fentermine. It's metabolized by the liver. So that's also important information to know. So if you have a patient that is interested in consuming this medication, it's probably really good to know if they have any sort of liver history. The main two indicators actually are BMI of 30 or a BMI of 27 with a comorbidity such as hypertension, dyslipidemia, or diabetes. Diabetes type 2, I should say specifically. They have some issues with blood sugar, which I'm going to get into shortly. So there's not really a lot of studies for type 1. They actually don't really specifically recommend this medication for type 1. So type 2 diabetes. So Belvic is also known as Belvic, Belvic XR or Lorcaserin is actually the medication. The brand name is the Belvic. So it comes in the two dosages, the 10 milligram. This, this I thought was funny. It's uh Belvic is 10 milligrams, which you take twice per day or the Belvic XR, which is 20 milligrams once per day. Well, that seems <laughs> logical. Um, I, I know, but I'm just like, why don't you just make it all Belvic XR and just make it easy on everybody? I just, uh, okay. Well, my guess would be that uh, <laughs> money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They are all enteric coated. So you do not want to crush or alter the medication anyway. They're made to be taken in that form only. The contraindications for Belvique or the main contraindications are pregnancy and sensitivity to the medication itself. Some of the most important things right off the bat that your patients are going to want to know or that it's been my experience when people want to talk about these types of information or medications that the patients want to know are some of the adverse reactions or, or things that are going to happen. So the main ones that you're going to be wondering about with Belvique are going to be GI disorders, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, dry mouth, fatigue. Here's some ones that are more specific to Belvique, upper respiratory infection, nasopharyngitis in UTI, back pain, headache, dizziness. And those are the main, the more common side effects that you can get with Belvique. You can also have a change in attention or memory. You can have mental problems such as hallucinations, depression, or suicidal ideation. You can have a decrease in blood sugar, which again goes back to the issues we were talking about with diabetes earlier. Right. 
here's another one that I don't remember specifically seeing with some of the other medications I researched was painful erections. So if you are a male or you are prescribing this to a male, again, I, I did not see anything that was like, oh, my God, or did any research where they said this was a common problem. But it was definitely something that was brought up. <laughs> and if you have a patient that is have a history of priapism or is prone to priapism, you may not want to prescribe them Belvique. Wow. Slow heartbeat and increased prolactin are also some issues that have come up with Belvique. So it's funny that you talked about erections and then come up. What was your next? Uh... Ah, shut up. So <laughs> I will tell you, there are some with some of the other medic. Well, one of the other medications more specifically, there are changes, but I did not see any changes in dosages with Belvique. Once you start this, it is the same 10 milligrams the entire time. That is a pretty nifty. Nice. Now there are some recommendations. It is basically, it says like if they do not lose like 5% of their target weight within like 12 weeks, I believe that, it is recommended to discontinue medication. Clearly it's up to the provider and the patient. Like if the patient feels like he or she is doing well, you can always have that conversation. It's just the recommendation of the manufacturer. And I would probably say it's because a, there's some mechanism of action that's not correcting the calorie deficit or B that the possible side effects that can come along with long-term use of the medication may not warrant the risk for the low amount of weight loss that you're getting from it. Which makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a risk benefit assessment. I would bet that the majority of these medications are going to carry that very similar. Oh yes. They, they, they are. Yeah. All the medications I researched had that same, I don't want to say uh, stigma, but I mean, they, they all had those, trip points like hey if they have not reached this much at this point you have to you need to either bump up cut back or get off another thing and i i guess i should really should have covered this to the point is not only is this supposed to induce calorie deficit you are supposed to be changing some lifestyle along with these medications belvic is no different you're supposed to be changing diet as well as getting into a healthy exercise program to help promote this calorie deficit to make the medication work better. So it is supposed to be a combination of those things that are helping you with the weight loss. So it's not magic in a bottle. If that's what you're looking for, this is not the episode where we discuss that. Okay. This is, this is helpful information. These are helpful medications, especially if used properly, but you have to know that you are still going to have to put in some work. Yeah, that's one thing I do stress with any of my patients that come in for a weight loss. And I think that's a good point is that I tell them, you know, this is not a magic pill. If you don't do anything to change and you just take this medication and don't change a damn thing, it's not going to change anything. You're not going to get anything out of it. So you have to. Uh, and generally what I tell patients is I don't care if you count calories, count carbs, do keto, do Atkins, do whatever diet plan or whatever you want to do. But you got to do something and you got to stick with that. And then, like Tom said, with, you know, making sure that you're getting into increasing your activity and exercise, you know, these are just a kind of a, an adjunct to that. It's not 
in place of that. Why don't you go on to your next one since there's only five of them? All righty. So the next one is Qsimia. And Qsimia is a combination medication. It is a combination of two old-timey medications. And so somebody at Vivus figured out if you take something old and you take something old and you put it together, it made something new, apparently. And what it is is it's uh, fentramine and topramate extended release, and they put together in varying ratios. And it's a step-up process medication. And what I mean by that is, as I'll explain here shortly, is it's uh, it's piecemeal. So you start at one dosage and then you increase it. So what it is, is it's venteramine, which we already described earlier, and right. uh, topramate extended release, which is an anti-epileptic drug. And those together, it, it helps basically... It's not just a boost your metabolism because it is a stimulant, but it's actually more of a basically causes a temporary anorexic state where your body just does not want to eat. It's not a specific mechanism of action like the Belvique. It, it just it causes the same thing through a different receptor. It just says, hey, you don't want to eat. And your body's like, cool. <laughs> now you don't want to eat. But it's the same as in you still are supposed to be doing this as part of a healthy diet. Like you, you don't want to starve to death. You just don't want to eat constantly. And then you also want to add in again, working out some type of cardiovascular work, etc. The same indications as before BMI of 30 or 27 with a comorbidity limitations of use, such as with Belvique or with Contrave, as we're going to see the effects of Qsimia on cardiovascular morbidity and mortality have not been established etc cetera, etc cetera. so i mean they're trying to say is hey this is a safe drug but you need to know that you know bad things can or could happen i mean i think we all understand that there are those risks whenever we're taking these types of medications so just be a good provider and make sure you lay out all the pros and cons as you should be with any medication to your patients so let's talk about the dosages for just a second. So then we can talk about how to apply them. So the first number I'm going to talk about is the fentramine dosage. And then the second number I'm going to talk about is the topermate extended release number. So the first dosage is going to be 3.75 milligrams. Like I know what numbers are. And the second one is going to be 23. So 3.75, 23. The second step is going to be 7.5 over 46. The third step is 11.25 over 69. 69, dudes. Everybody loves Bill and Ted's. <laughs> Excellent adventure, bogus journey. And 15 milligrams over 92 milligrams is the final step. So what you would do is, is if you're dosing this out to your patient, the recommendations is the 3.75 over 23, you actually do for two weeks. All right. You get your patient on that and then you start them on the 7.5 for 40 over 46 for up to 12 weeks. If they do not hit 3% over 12 weeks, you can either discontinue or escalate to the next dosage, etc. And then that is the step procedure it goes for different percentages like the next one it goes at five percent for 12 weeks but every 12 weeks you're supposed to reassess with your patient their weight goals 
and weight loss and say, hey, where are we at? And are we making the type of progress we want to be making? I will tell you that once you hit into that 11.25 into that 15 milligram on the fentramine over topramate side, realistically, due to the fact that you're using topramate and fentramine together at that high of a dosage, you can't just take your patient off this medication any longer. Right. You are Good going point. to have to take this patient off in a stepwise fashion because now you have put them at risk for seizures. I mean, I'm not saying that they're at an undue risk. I'm just saying you have to make them aware that they cannot just quit cold turkey. If they're at 15 milligrams over 92, they can't just stop. <laughs> that that would be an right. unwise or or undue risk to your patient. So there there is a couple other big big ones besides just the seizure that we need to talk about real quick. Some of the other contraindications for Qsemia is pregnancy, because pregnancy is a big no no for all these diet drugs. Makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's just throw out that you shouldn't be really dieting a lot if you're pregnant. Period. Right. Maybe we should tell. just lead off with that. Okay, glaucoma hyperthyroidism or during or within 14 days of taking an MAOI, okay, or known hypersensitivity to any of the ingredients of Qsemia. I just want to say again, especially the glaucoma part, because this is also a medication that there was some stories and warnings in there about people after having been off for a couple of weeks, they wake up and were like, hey, I'm having trouble seeing. <laughs> so... Make sure, again, you pay attention to that. Again, it's it's something that's just as long as your patient is aware of what's to, what to look for and the steps that need to be taken, it can be taken care of and it wasn't, or high rate, I should say. But it is certainly something that needs to be addressed when you're talking to them. Also, a big thing because of the stimulant is when dosing the patient, they need to be taking it first thing in the morning when they first wake up because it does have a higher rate of insomnia if you take it at any other part of the day. That makes sense. So make sure your patients are aware of how to correctly use this medication as well as the side effects that they need to be looking for. So what questions... I mean, obviously, I can't cover every part of every one of these drugs, so I'm trying to hit right. the highlights. There's a lot of different things, and, and if you are, again, I would tell anybody that is seriously thinking about either A, prescribing one of these medications, or B, taking one of these medications, call a rep, look at the website, educate yourself, use the information that these companies are providing. They want you to know about their drug. It's amazing how much information they're putting out there. So I'm trying to condense it down and give you the highlights and give you some education on how to safely prescribe or take these medications. So Ben, what questions would you want as a patient or a prescriber if you were trying to do or trying to take or prescribe Qsemia? Well, or did I just do such a great job that you're like, <laughs> no. You got it, man. No, the only thing that I would hit on is because you did mention seizures earlier, and that's because the topamate, that's what it used to be for was an old seizure medication. I don't know if you mentioned that. And then we also use it for migraines. And so that's the other place that we use it, that. Yeah. I didn't mention, I did, I mentioned the anti epileptic, but I didn't mention the, uh, 
migraine preventative. Oh, how could I forget? Lots of fluid intake, not just because of the stimulant. It can make you prone to developing drum roll, please. Everyone's favorite episode, kidney stones. <laughs> oh, buddy. And if that doesn't make you want to pee your pants a little bit, then nothing does. So, well, yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into the next medication that we are going to cover. And we are going from oral medication to the injectable type, at least for this one. Uh, so we're going to go with Saxenda. That's a good name. It, I mean, it really is. I like that name. <laughs> Liraglutide. It's a GLP-1. The other name that you might recognize this as is Victoza, which is what is used for type 2 diabetics. However, I suspect that what happened is they determined that, hey, this medication helps with weight loss, and maybe we should rebrand it and market it as a weight loss medication as well. Uh, so it is a GLP-1, as I said. So it stimulates the glucose-dependent insulin secretion. It inhibits glucagon release and gastric emptying. And it binds to the GLP-1 receptors and stimulates glucose-dependent insulin release from the pancreatic islets. So that's how it helps with diabetes. And then because of some of the delay of gastric emptying can certainly help with weight loss because you feel full. Uh, so, and it also helps to decrease your food intake. Generally, this the key dose that they want to get to is 3 milligrams daily, which is a higher dose than what is used as Victoza for diabetics. Uh, recommended uses for uh, those who are obese with a BMI greater than 30 or greater than 27 with at least one weight-related comorbidity, such as hypertension or type 2 diabetes. So see if they have type 2 diabetes and they're obese, it's a win-win. That sounds really familiar. Right. This 30 BMI and this 27 with a comorbidity. It's almost like I've heard that somewhere. Uh, maybe once or twice. I don't know. In several studies, it has shown to uh, cause more weight loss than uh, placebo. And in one study that I found, uh, real-world clinical effectiveness for weight management in Canada in Obesity, a research journal, showed that liraglutide, 3 milligrams in combination with diet and exercise, uh, were investigated at 4 and 6 months post-initiation. And there was a significant change in body weight uh, six months, six and four months after initiation of treatment in the persistent subjects. Percent change in body weight in this particular clinic was 7.1% in the six-month group and 6.3% in the four-month group. Uh, but they estimated that all subjects lost approximately 6.5% of their body weight. The other particular benefit that you may have with this medication um, was with it being GLP-1, is it has been shown to reduce major cardiovascular disease events in adults with type 2 diabetes. Adverse events, one of the big things that you need to know about is the GI side effects, and uh, nausea and vomiting are the biggest ones, particularly as the dose is high. So what you want to do with dosing on this is generally start out at a uh, lower dose of 0.6 milligrams daily. You're going to do that for a week, and then you're going to titrate it up to 1.2, then to 1.8, then to 2.4, and then to the 3 milligrams. So you're actually going to titrate it up over about five weeks. That does tend to uh, decrease the dose-reported nausea and uh, vomiting with this medication. Some other side effects you may see, diarrhea, low blood sugar, which makes sense because of it being a diabetes medication as well. What? I know, right? It's weird that it would cause <laughs> sugars to be low. Wow. 
We should have asked Jeff about this event. <laughs> I bet he talked about it in that episode. Some other uh, side effects that are more serious but less common. It can, in some cases, cause pancreatitis, gallbladder disease, and some renal dysfunction. And then it does carry a warning. In rodent studies, it was associated with benign and malignant thyroid C-cell tumors. Uh, there has been no evidence of these tumors in humans. However, it is listed there. It's also contraindicated in pregnancy, as Tom alluded to earlier. And if they have any personal or family history of uh, thyroid cancer or multiple endocrine neoplasia, you want to avoid this medication as well. I think one of the biggest hurdles with this medication is the injection. Because you have diabetics who refuse or don't want to take a needle and so then you have an obese patient who's trying to lose weight and you're like, well, here I have this medication, but it's, uh, you got to inject it every day. <laughs> I can attest to the fact uh, that it is, the needle is small enough that it doesn't, you don't feel it, but it's still the, uh, the needle aspect and some patients will experience uh, needle phobias. So that is uh, Saxenda slash Victoza slash Liraglutide. Any questions on that one, Tom? Have you had the opportunity to uh, use that one or, or, or see it used? No, actually, I have not. Uh, that's one of the few medications I literally did not have. I had very, very little information on. So when you were like, hey, I'll take that one, I was like, good. So <laughs> I felt very happy. I want to take that because I do think it's an interesting medication. and I do see the uh, the benefits from it because it can help with diabetes and it can help with the weight loss. Uh, but again, it's just kind of getting patients onto that. Hey, you're going to do a daily injection. Understandable. And again, like you said, I think once they can get over the needle aspect, I think it's no big deal at all. It's merely the phobia. Once they can yeah. get over that phobia, it's, it's, it's smooth sailing, but you got to get somebody onto it. I just, again, Saxenda that poof, somebody give that guy a raise who came up <laughs> right. with that name. Like, man, that's a sell right there. But uh, I think I'm ready to take it home. Bring it home with this last medication. Are you ready? I am ready, sir. So last but not least is Contrave, a combination medication that is not a controlled substance. The last two were Schedule 4s. This one is not. It is a combination medication of naltrexone and bupropion, uh, extended release tablets. I will tell you that this is information directly from the manufacturer website. The second piece of information is a big black and white warning, suicidal thoughts and behavior. I don't know if that's what I would have let off with. <laughs> I mean, um, props to the manufacturer for making sure that people were aware that that this is something that people need to be aware of, both on prescription side and on the taking of the medication side. However, wow. I suspect that has less to do with the manufacturer and more to do with the FDA. <laughs> yeah, well, possibly. I, I, again, in all fairness to Contrave, though, all the medications I've covered tonight, mental health has been something that has been stressed. Changes in mental health, suicidal thoughts and awareness, right. hallucinations, suicidal ideation, etc., have all been part of the things that you need to be warning your patients of, or if you're taking the medication, you need to be aware of because all of these medications, and, and I think this is actually smart. I think this is one of the ways that medicine is moving. 
we can't just affect the physical you have to get the person's mental into this the body yeah like we we could supercharge you know a lot of things physically but if we don't turn off the part of your body that's like keep eating well then we can't create a calorie deficit big enough and that's what we have to do so i i I understand what we're doing but sometimes when you start messing around with those hormones things happen so let's talk about Here's some new information. It's indicated for people with a BMI of 30 or a BMI of 27 with a comorbidity. Uh, It's the combination, like I said before, is naltrexone, which is an opiate agonist, or bupropion, which is an antidepressant. It's supposed to be used in conjunction with a diet and a weight management system. Surprise, I I know you didn't see any of that coming. So let's talk about some of the dosages so we can get into the rest of the information. So like Qsimia, this also is a medication that you will change the dosages as the medication progresses. So week one, this is a medication you give twice a day. Contrave, you will give twice a day. So yes. week one is one tablet in the morning. That's it. Starting week two is one tablet in the morning and one tablet in the evening. Week three is two tablets in the morning and one tablet in the evening. And then after that first month, smooth sailing, baby. Two in the morning, two in the evening. That's it. Yeah. The nice thing I will say about Contrave is that the extended release tablets are the same. You give more of them, but the tablets are always eight milligram tablets. That's it. True. That's also nice. Like I said, each one of these medications, they got their own thing going. Like Belvique's only got one. That was cool. Yosemite is kind of complicated, but yeah. It's working with some complicated medication, so I guess that makes sense. So, I mean, you gotta just got to work with them. Apparently, Contrave has also got some issues where, uh, boy, the word hypertension comes up a lot. Like, they really don't want you to give this to anybody with anything that's ever had something to do with their heart. So make sure you do a thorough history on your patient before you discuss uh, giving them Contrave. So if they have ever had anything to do with MAOIs, pregnancy, so I know you weren't expecting me to say that either. No, I was shocked. Any known sensitivity to any of the components of Contrave, anything with seizure disorders, anorexia, bulimia, undergoing uh, discontinuations from alcohol, benzodiazepines, barbiturates, or anti-epileptic drugs, they should also not be on Contrave. Blood pressure medications or anything involving the liver. This also has a warning for the uh, angle closure glaucoma, as the Qsimia did, and anti-diabetic medications. So, again, knowing your patient's history is going to be in a very important part of the process before you can recommend one of these medications. And before you can move forward in the process of, hey, how are we going to help you lose weight? So as long as you can safely tell your patient, hey, you have a history, like like you said. So let's say your patient is a type 2 diabetic. Ben's uh, sexy friend over there is probably the one that you might want to look into giving them. Because if they could take a shot, that might be going with it. Or if they have like a history of liver issues you definitely don't want them going with a contrave. So I I would say it's important for them to understand what the the patient history is, because the other thing I was going to say is if you look through the contraves 
adverse reaction is again, you're going to see a lot of the same thing that we've talked about with Euthymia, that we've talked about with the Belvique, nausea, constipation, headache, vomiting, dizziness, insomnia, dry mouth. There, I mean, there's a few things with the contrave that we didn't see, such as tinnitus, irritability, but otherwise we're seeing a lot of the same consistent, Yeah, you know, throughout all these medications, you're going to see a very consistent, other than I, you know, which I saw was pretty much with Qsimia and the contrave. And blood pressure seems to be very big with the... Uh, contrave such as like if they have ever if they do anything that's involving blood pressure blood pressure medications not that i'd know why if somebody was on a digoxin why you would be doing anything like this with them but certainly this is a no-go or pregnancy etc but it's it's always important to know your patient's history before we, we move forward with these types of medications some of the experience that I have with uh, Contrave, both from you know hearing drug reps talk about it and then using it in, in the clinic, you need to be mindful if they're on any type of antidepressants as well because of the antidepressant component already built into uh, the Contrave, which is, well, Butrin is the other name for it, which we do use also for smoking cessation. And then, of course, the naltrexone, uh, the opioid receptor, which in this case According to some of the drug reps that I talked to, it kind of helps to curb late night cravings um, is how that seems to help in this form. Funny story, I did have a patient come in that routinely seen another provider and they were prescribed contrary through a weight loss clinic elsewhere and had come in for a refill on their hydrocodone and they were like, I just don't feel like it's working anymore. Well, um, that's because you're yeah. taking Narcan. Um, so yep. if they are using long-term <laughs> opioids, you need to be mindful that you're going to uh, block any of that opioid use in their body. So just some other things that I've thought of. Yeah, no, that's that's a really, I did not consider the fact that if they are on any sort of long-term pain medication, that contrave should probably not be part of the conversation because of the now track zone. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, though, like with the Belvique specifically, which is also, you know, got the, uh, the receptor issue, it specifically is saying like, Hey, you really don't want to be messing around with the serotonin too much. You know, <laughs> like we're already kind of tweaking this a little bit. So if they're already on any other medications that are affecting these levels, probably don't want to use this medication. And again, this is one of the few times I saw medications where the manufacturer went out of the way to say, Hey, please don't give this medication. If, yeah. And I thought that was I mean, I'm I'm sure it is. But having studied these for this episode, I was like, wow, that was pretty cool. Or they were like, no, don't please don't <laughs> please, please don't don't do that to us. It's a, I think it's important. And I know they're out to make money, but it, it did seem like they took the time to make sure it was thoroughly documented. Like, hey, this is what you're about to do. Don't give it if and then listed a. Each one of these documents is between 27 to 42 pages long of studies, actions, mechanisms, etc. So if you really want to break it down to the uh, concentration of naltrexone and bupropion and contrave in the plasma protein bound percentages in your blood, by the way, it's 21 and 84 percent for contrave in your blood, you can you could find it. 
it's it's all in this information. So again, it depends on how much you really want to know. I suggest if you are getting ready to prescribe one of these things, it probably behooves you to look through some of this information a little more thoroughly. Again, this was, we were trying to do something fun, uh, New Year's resolutions. We want to make sure you guys had some really good information on some of the medications that were out there so that you could take a look and hear and understand some of the options you had available to you. And a few things that I want to wrap up with, what I found kind of interesting on the uh, on up to date some therapies that are not recommended for uh, weight loss Ooh, here we go dietary supplements clinicians should Aww. caution patients against the use of weight loss dietary supplements and should monitor those who choose to use them over-the-counter dietary supplements are widely used by individuals attempting to lose weight but evidence to support their efficacy and safety is limited the fda laboratory tests have revealed presence of fenproporex which is the bad part of finfen that got taken off the market because of cardiac problems, fluoxetine, furosemide, phenytoin, amphetamines, benzos, lots of different stuff in some of these over-the-counter dietary supplements. So it should be uh, something that we are mindful of as clinicians. Um, second that I thought was kind of interesting was the HCG diet, which I don't know if have you heard of the HCG diet. I have. Okay, so injections of HCG have been advertised to aid in weight loss, However, clinical trials fail to support this claim. Several randomized trials have shown that HCG diet is not more effective than placebo in the treatment of obesity. And they speculate that the reason the HCG diet works so well is adherence to a very low calorie, which is 500 calories a day diet, which has been recognized to result in short-term weight loss simply from the caloric restriction. No added benefit from the HCG. So... If your patients are on some of those, or if you as a patient are on some of those, then maybe you should look into some other potential options as we discussed. The last thing that I want to hit real quick, Tom, is sadly, the majority of insurances are not going to pick up any of the cost of weight loss medications. I personally think that's asinine. I think it's going to be much cheaper to treat the weight loss now than to treat the hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, everything else that's going to potentially come on later. But with that being said, off of GoodRx, I just wanted to pull some information just so you're kind of aware of some of the costs of some of these medications um, if insurance is not going to cover them. Fentramine, as it's the reason that it's most widely used is because it's the cheapest. Average retail price of it is $35 for a month. Contrave, you are looking at approximately $272 a month. Again, this is just through GoodRx. That's not to say that there aren't plans that you can get through with, with the drug companies. I know a lot of them will do uh, some different things with that. Belvique, um, average retail price is $366. Quaisma, the average retail price is approximately $200 a month. And last, but certainly not least, the Saxenda, on average, $1,491.06 a month. <laughs> Well, that's a problem. So again, but, but I do know that a lot of drug companies are very good about, it's because they realize that insurance isn't going to pay for them. And so I know they get this medication for $3 a day or whatever the case may be. So uh, as providers, make sure that you're aware of some of the uh, systems that are out there uh, through the drug companies to help your patients get these medications if they are deemed to be appropriate. 
Yes, and I know some of the the manufacturers themselves will set up through your pharmacy or uh, I want to say it's the Qsimia has like a direct link for like prescribers to send the prescription right to a pharmacy so it'll save money for the for the patient so yeah. there are systems like that in place as Ben was just discussing I don't know about for a thousand bucks a month though good lord but <laughs> I mean whew, I don't care how sexy that name is man a thousand bucks that's a lot of sexy <laughs> <laughs> that's uh indeed oh, indeed sir holy cow on that note tom unless you have anything else to add to this episode that's gonna wrap up our dispensing of information on weight loss medication. i think i think that's good all right well if you like this episode and you want to hear more of episodes like this, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube all at Just Some Podcast. Our website is www.justsomepodcast.com. Email us. Let us know what you think of this episode or other episodes you think we may need to do. Admin at justsomepodcast.com. All right, Tom. Well, that wraps up this episode, dude. It was good to have you back. Good to be back. And It was good to be back. It was. It felt right again, you know? The world's a little better off now. JSP is back on the air. JSP is back in the air. Cats and dogs are living separately. You know, I mean, (laughs) I was going to do the Bill Murray line from Ghostbusters, but never mind. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I was looking forward to it. I was, was (laughs) you felt the wind up, but I was like, no, I I got my serenity candle burning. I got one of those after that abortion story we did a couple episodes ago. So I'm, I'm calm. I'm serene. So there you go. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know what we're going to cover next week, but I'm uh, sure it'll be good. Oh, it's most of our stuff. Of course. Yeah. Everything we do. Excellence. Like an excellent adventure. (laughs) Yes. Ben and Tom's excellent excellent adventure. We might, uh, we might've just violated the copyright somewhere. Yeah. Well, if they sue us, we'll get more publicity. So great. Hey, you know they're making a third one, right? Yes, and I'm so excited. I can't wait. I will go to the movie theater for that. As will I. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. So, on that note, be excellent to each other and have a great week. Hey, everybody. Stay safe out there. Uh, Be excellent to each other. Be be excellent. Swearing just to pass the time Lately I see why I am alone I caught some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known Took a press so I could find my cheek Found mediocrities the best Without you